my Rex Hudler is sort of Hulk melts Hogan? into my Hulk Hogan. <laughs> They're like the same thing to me. Welcome back to Royals Weekly, Royals fans. I am your host, Marcus Mead, joined by a man who is no longer allowed in most of the Waffle Houses in the Kansas City metro area, my brother Mike. hey This week, we'll review what was an entertaining week of Royals baseball, talk about what it will take for the Royals to continue to win close games, and preview the upcoming series against the Rays and Tigers. Mike, did you know that the plural of series is series? I actually did not know that. Uh, had to look it up. Series? I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I wasn't sure how to spell it. And so, and I get paid lots of money to uh, to, to know these lots things. Lots of money? You don't get paid lots of money. Not That's for this, lot. but to know how to spell. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I get paid medium amounts of money. There we go. To know how to do things related to writing and spelling and things like that. And I had no clue that series was the plural of series. Hey, deer, so. deer, geese, gooses. Who knows what it is? The English language is all messed up. People ask me these questions and I'm like, you know, go with what you feel. Yeah, that's uh, what I say. Go with what you feel. I'm going with series is just like, it's like, it's like RBI and RBIs, right? RBI is runs batted in. It's it is the plural, but I want to say RBIs every time. You know, here's the thing: if I make that mistake, though, if I make a mistake like that, people look at me like I'm unqualified for my job, unqualified (laughs) for my job, a sham, and I'm somehow pulling the wool over the eyes of people. You know, I'm a con artist. You know, Uh, but I'm not not saying it's it's RBIs. It's serieses. That's right. Uh, But enough about the rules of baseball grammar. Let's dig into the last week. Last week, the Royals went five and two. On last week's episode, Mike and I said that we wanted four wins out of this week. The Royals ended up with five against two really tough teams. I was surprised that they eked out that Angel series. I was pretty confident that they may not win that series. Uh, But Mike, as a whole, how do you think the Royals looked this last week? Uh, I was super excited. And I felt like they eked out that Angel series, you know, after they get beat pretty good in one of those games. And then they, you know, they, they got pretty much owned by Matt's too. And then the game that he started in the Toronto series. So they, they won close games, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, but uh, they're finding ways to win when they aren't playing at their best. They're most consistent, at least offensively. I, I went and looked up how they're doing as a team. They're like 10th in OPS, which isn't, you know, that's nothing to write home about. They're at about 700 for an OPS. Their batting average is below 250 as a team. Um, their on base is 216 as a team, which for the Royals, when you're saying, okay, you know, you're going to hit 240 as a team, but you're on base is going to be 316. That's actually walking at a better clip than what they normally do, uh, which is good because I think that's what we kind of expected from this team, this group, um, to be a little different from years in the past. But finding ways to win, even though um, they're not getting the consistency offensively that we would like to see. And that is largely because some of those guys that aren't performing the way we want them to offensively are still doing something to win, to help the team win. And you and I, I, I kept saying early in the week, hey, remind me to talk about Benintendi and George Brett. Remind me to talk about Benintendi and George Brett. And it's not because they're anything alike. George Brett used to talk about, I think, Charlie Lau telling him that you should do one good thing to help your team in a game. And now, like, Royals announcers talk about it all the time. 
I think um, HUD goes to sleep saying those words. I think he does. It's it's ad nauseum at this point. But I, all I could think was, I think Andrew Benintendi is really testing that theory. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do legitimately just one thing today, and then I'm going to go take a nap or something. Like, it's like, I got to walk today. I'm done. You know, <laughs> I, I made a really marginally good thing. play in the outfield. I'm done. <laughs> I scored a run. That's it. I'm out. Uh, and so, and Santana was the same way, you know, like all these guys are like, Oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. You're doing one thing to win. So it's hard to be like, I hate this, but we're winning games. <laughs> I, I do want to defend Benintendi uh, slightly, uh, there because the one thing he does always seems to be right at the hugest moment, like right exactly. when it needs to be done. And I think back to the, uh, Jay's game uh, from Saturday, uh, it was, a it was the one Salvi hit the walk-off home run in. But nobody thinks about it now, but like the first two runs of that game, he drove in the first one and scored the second one. Right. Yeah. And so like he hits a, I think a double, a double, double to, yeah. to score a Mary field. That was a, I would say that was the second extra base hit of the year. Yeah. Or one <laughs> second or third. It's not, he's not a bunch, but he, he hits a double to, uh, to score Mary field and then gets driven in for the second run. Uh, and it's like, huge that was huge right he, he had that bunt in extra innings against the white Sox to like win the game essentially you know like he's doing oh, yeah. these the one thing he's contributing is coming in these big moments you know yeah um, i agree and and it's or or it's like right in the middle it starts a rally or is right in the middle of a rally and he just keeps it going and it's like holy crap like the rest of the time you're not even like you're swinging through down the middle of the plate fastballs and you know it just ugh. but always one thing to win always i did want to get it on the record because we've just brought up benintendi there's a big sort of dispute here i i got into a small twitter dust up with the royals farm report account the other day run by people that i love uh, the group of people over there fantastic people very smart baseball people but i tend to disagree with some people including you about yes. where benintendi is right now i yes. think he's about to turn a corner i think he's finding it offensively and I think his performance this last week shows that he's five for 22 this last week, which isn't that's, terrible. Two twenty-seven, by the way. Well, I know, but it's better than he was doing. And it's not, <laughs> it's not terrible. He's got his first couple extra base hits this week. It's the way he's looking at the plate that is convincing me. He's starting to loft the ball a little bit more, get it into gaps. He's starting to hit the ball a little harder. Right? If you go look at his uh, baseball savant, his stat cast data, the ball is coming off of his bat harder. Um, I think these are the signs that he is starting to turn it around. I know it's it's weird. And you're hearing those reports, too, from the team. They're talking about how he feels like he's close to there. I think it's just a, a matter of a couple of weeks, maybe, or a week even, before he starts a, a run here, if he can stay healthy or if something doesn't go tragically wrong between now and then. I mean, at any, on any given day in baseball, you're one day away from going 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and falling into a deep, dark depression. But, you know, I think he's really on the right track, and I, I think he'll turn it around soon. And like I said, everybody should expect him to turn it around. The guy has been hitting above 250 his whole career. You know, I mean, you should expect him to turn it around at some point. The thing that I'm still skeptical of is the swing and miss and the still pretty low exit velocity stuff. Now, I do like the fact that he has been hitting more line drives, and I think that will benefit him. We saw his, the first couple doubles today were, and, and I think both the two of them were to left center. And they're shading him to left center, so he may have to start pulling the ball a little bit more. But, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I want him to do these things, but the swing and miss is still at balls in the zone. The swing and miss at balls in the zone still scares me. 
and he's gone down looking quite a bit too. So I don't know that he's quite as comfortable as you think he maybe is when he's taking called third strikes and swinging and missing at Tommy Malone's 84 mile per hour fastball, which I thought was a changeup. It was a fastball uh, down the middle of the plate. So uh, he's yeah, getting I'm there. Not, I'm not thinking he's getting there yet. I don't think he's cl- as close as you do, but I'm, I guess it'll be you versus me in the Royals farm report, guys. <laughs> the back alley switch blades out ready to stab i love i love myself against the world i love it that's where i'm comfortable, that's where I'm comfortable. mustaches against the world to tell you that <laughs> it's against all <laughs> laws of nature most of the time uh but let's talk about guys who actually had what we call strong weeks this week we have to talk about salvador perez in this segment i'm going to jump jump the line here and just talk about him right now because he's the first name you think of when you think of a strong week this week, he carried the team. Basically he was 11 for 28, three home runs this week, seven RBI. He hit that walk-off home run. He had a walk-off back pick at third when the ball Holland uh, uh, threw a ball in the dirt. It bounced up, hits Salvi bounces off Jared Walsh's man parts. And then (laughs) Salvi makes it happen. You know, you're going good. When you get a carry them off some, work out for junk you. To, you get a carry them off the, the junk back play. pick a guy at third. Yeah. It's just, just how they drew it up. Just how they drew it mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So that's, he gets a back pick to win a game, walk off home run. He hit a go ahead home run as well. He's just, it, that was today. He had, a, he had a go ahead home run today. I think he might hit another one earlier, um, but he's just on fire right now. And it's weird because he's on fire in a way that's like some at bats, he goes down swinging on three pitches and looks like he'll never touch another ball. And then some at bats, he just crushes the ball out of the park. That's his game. He's found his offensive profile and it's swing all the time. But when you make contact, it better be really hard. The the thing is though, even when he's striking out in those at bats, I feel like he's on every pitch. It's like, Oh my gosh, he's on that. Oh my gosh. He just fouled that back or, you know, um, I'm never like, oh, he's w- no idea what he's doing at the plate right now. And the big thing for me is he's started to about half of the sliders down and away. He's not swinging at anymore. And that's a big deal for him. That's a huge, huge deal for him. Um, it, it changes who he is as a hitter. If he can lay off the slider down and away against righties, he is a different guy. It's so weird when you say like he stopped swinging at half of them, and everybody's I mean, like, he "Yay!" To, yeah, no, he doesn't have to swing it. You know, he doesn't have to lay off all of them, but you know. I mean, it, it's a fantasy question for Royals fans. What if he hits for a whole season the way he did last year in six in that six, well thirty-seven games for him because he was hurt at the start of the year? It's it's unthinkable, really. I mean, well, and we you're talking about, about a guy who probably deserves to be an MVP talks yeah. if he hits the way he did during that shortened season last year for the whole year. And we talked about this, I think, in episode one or episode two this year, uh, a conversation I had with my brother-in-law, Anthony, about this when I was up visiting him in Iowa. Like, he asked me, do you think he can do what he did last year? And I go, "Not, no, I think it's unrealistic to expect that. And if he does, we're talking MVP. Now, that'll be tough when you got guys like, you know, Otani and and Vlad Jr. in, in the American League. But Vlad Jr. is um, hitting over 400 right now. And the way I, was, I saw him, I'm like... Is he going to challenge 400? Like, <laughs> I mean, the guy's, he, he's good. Uh, but Mike Trout's still there. I mean, you know, hard to be an MVP in the American League right now uh, and the National League with Acuna doing what he's doing. But but Salvador Perez plays a premium defensive position and plays it to a gold glove level. So maybe, I don't know, maybe. Plus, he's never been in the running before, so maybe he gets a couple charity points for that. I don't know. Well, he's, he's going to get some charity points for the fact that he plays the most important defensive position, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're a catcher with a 950 OPS 
they're going to look at you differently than if you're a left fielder with a 950 OPS. Yeah. And so, or like um, Guerrero, who I think plays first now. Um, yeah. Glad you. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he's not going to get any like defensive boost points or anything like that for playing first and, and hitting well. But so, do you give it to Otani? Cause he pitches. I know that's a, <laughs> if Otani plays a whole season healthy and looks the way he has, to, he's going to win like, the MVP running away. It's going to be yeah. not even close because you're talking about a guy who's going to get, you know, seven, eight war as an offensive player. And then another four or five as a pitcher. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, I, I don't know how you compete with that. Um, but uh, speaking of another pitcher who, who, He's not going to be in the MVP race, but maybe the Cy Young race. <laughs> I, don't, says I, with the tongue. I, 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 I doubt that. Um, I doubt it too. But, but you I'm said, you know, said oh, Salvador Perez carried the team this week. He carried us offensively, but we did get some decent pitching performances. And Jacob Junis was probably other than other than uh, Singer today, who was phenomenal. Yeah, um, Junis was probably the best of them, other than that one. And I, I didn't just want to go with this week for him because he's only got two starts this year. Um, but he's at 12 innings pitched already below one whip, which I, I whip is still one. I really like, cause I don't like putting people on base. Um, 15 K is to only three walks. He's got two earned runs and those were runs that they took him out. Probably a batter or two. I, I'm not even sure he needed to come out for that inning. The cutter is looking good. He hasn't given up a home run and that's really a that's big part of his cause he was so susceptible to the home run in years past, but the cutter's looking good, not giving up home runs. If Jake, Junis Jacob, sorry Jacob Junis. Continue. Jacob. Is it Jacob? Is it, I I would call myself Jacob if that was how I spelled Jacob. If they can get him as a fifth starter and he's doing that, gonna be real nice. Essentially, essentially an addition to your rotation. I mean, he's been virtually nothing for them out of the rotation for the last two years. But to be able to come out and pitch like this is like is a revelation. I mean, mm-hmm. if he can be even a four ERA guy for the whole year which it looks like he can be even better than that revelation. He is going to change the depth of that rotation and give you so many quality innings. It's especially going to be important if we see regression from Brad Keller. I don't know that we will. I think maybe those first two were kind of working stuff out. And hopefully this last one is more indicative of what we're going to see moving forward. But if you do see regression from Brad Keller back to more of a league average type guy or something like that, then Junis stepping up is going to be huge. Very big. And I think the not giving up home runs thing is, is the biggest factor. And I think you pointing that out is, is a really good thing to notice. I think it's not just interesting that his cutter has been really good. It seems like his cutter is making his forcing fastball better. Mm-hmm. He'll throw some 91, 92, 93, four seam fastballs and guys are swinging right through them. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know. I think they say the spin rate on his four seamer is up this year. So I don't know if that's if that's helping him in some way, or if it's just that guys are sort of so unsure of what's coming. Like in years past, it was either a four seam fastball is coming or a slider is coming, and you could kind of sit on the fastball and he, say like, well, maybe I'll every time, yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll swing and miss on a slider or two, but eventually it's going to be a fastball, and I'm going to put it out of the park, um, and that's what would happen. Now they're thinking cutter in the back of their mind. That cutter's built up sort of a reputation almost, or is building up one as a, you know, as it sort of becomes more and more used and more and more effective. And that's only going to help you if guys are thinking, I can't just sit fastball slider. I have to think about the cutter. Oh man. Um, and you're just seeing really efficient outings. 
Um, I, just, I can't wait till he's fully stretched out. He's still not fully stretched out, um, but I think he could be a guy who's going seven, eight. What a what an awesome four or five starter who can go seven, eight innings sometimes because he's so pitch efficient at times. I think that's that's going to be really valuable for them, especially in a season where they're going to be looking for innings wherever they can get them. Yeah, he fills up the strike zone, and he's the kind of guy that hitters go out there thinking, I can hit this, I can hit this, I can hit this. And so they're swinging when they get up there. And so, yeah, that's going to lead to longer outings, especially if the cutter is gr- drawing a lot of ground balls or a lot more than what he would usually get. You know? Ground balls, weak fly ball contact, which mm-hmm. is another thing he seems to be getting better with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, love, love what he did this week. I'm hoping that he keeps it rolling. Uh, and you're right, the starting pitching related step up this week. Irv came out and threw, threw three uh, good innings for him the other day in mm-hmm. a start. And Singer was masterful today and got just – totally screwed by the umpire that two seam fastball today was unreal it was moving moving like three feet in on right-handers and for some reason and i rolled out a whole bunch of right-handed hitters against singer yeah and i'm like why would you do that you know this guy never throws his change up really good slider he's gonna bust that two seamer in on every single righty you have and he wasn't doing it in as he did it in some but i love when he starts it on the outside and brings it in he did that to vlad quite a bit he yeah. started outside the zone and run it onto the outside corner and just guys weren't swinging at it. I mean, it was, yeah. and the guy and the umpire was giving it to him. I mean, it was a strike, so he should have got um, Vlad looking on one of those. Um, yeah. So yeah, that his two seamer was on fire today. Um, they, 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 um, categorize it as a sinker on uh, baseball savant in, in stat cast. It looks like a two seamer to me. It's all um, lateral movement. It's very lateral. It's not very much. It's not down very much. Um, but it was, it was on fire today. He was on fire today umpire really screwed him up out of a couple key calls balls and strike calls that essentially ended his night and inning early because he was had to keep throwing more pitches and that really bummed me out because i thought he could go seven or eight but anyway we'll we'll move on from that uh we saw some struggles this week some some of the hitters still aren't aren't, uh, aren't in the groove yet uh who do you want to talk about in terms of who struggled this week well i'm going to talk about jorge soler but the good news is Today may have been the beginning of that turnaround, and I'll talk about that here in a second. But for the week, he was only four for 19, um, seven strikeouts to three walks. He did have two RBIs. He See, there it is. Damn it. I'm a hillbilly. <laughs> uh, two RBI and two doubles. But he seems like he's getting jammed up a lot, that his swing's getting a little long. He's still overswinging a little bit. Um, but then today he comes in and he gets a walk in his first at bat. I think he strikes out in his second at bat. But his third at bat, he hits a line drive, looks like to right center. And when we talked earlier this year about him struggling, we said when he starts to correct himself, he starts to hit it to center and right center more. So he hits this dart to right center, just barely doesn't get over the second baseman. It was more straight center, but yeah, same point. The point applies. Yeah, jumps up, snags it out of the air, kills me. Because I'm like, this guy needs that hit. Like he needs something like that. But then he comes up later and hits a double. So last time I talked about Jorge Soler struggling, he made me look like a fool the next week and just came out on a tear. Let's hope that today was the beginning of that Jorge Soler, the not overswinging Jorge Soler. Because if you add that to the middle, the Royals are going to score a heck of a lot more runs if Salvi keeps doing what he's doing too. Things that I stood out to me this week that I really want to talk about, and it's not a struggle. It's a, it's a thing that is just interesting as I look back on the week and that's Matheny, it's Mike Matheny and his use of the bullpen and how effectively he's doing that. I keep hearing people, including on the broadcast, be like, HUD will be like, oh, 
they'll find they'll find these this this the roles for them they'll find their closer and i'm like why one what indicates to you that that's what they're going to do and two why would they want to do that like that doesn't make any sense to me like Matheny has already come out and said we're not going to do that we're going to pitch guys w- use matchups pitch guys in different leverage situations and that sort of thing it does not matter who gets the last three outs it doesn't matter, right? Tonight was a great example of that, or today, today I guess. Today was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stamont comes out and pitches the eighth to well, face Zimmer. the one, two, and three hitters, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, Zimmer comes out, but like it was Stamont who faced the heart of their lineup, right? He faced um, Bichette. He faced who was their leadoff Guerrero. guy? Oh, uh, was Simeon their leadoff guy today? Yes, Simeon, Bichette, and Guerrero. And he just mows them down. Gets no strikeouts, but they clearly couldn't handle his heat. And they put it in, in play in weak ways. He gets uh, the, their top three hitters in the eighth. And then Holland comes in for the ninth and faces four, five, six, right? And clearly the dangerous inning there was the eighth inning, right? Because Bichette has been hitting really well coming into this series. He hasn't gotten a lot of hits this series, but he's hitting the ball really hard right at people. Um, and then Guerrero has been destroying, you know, including the Royals. And so like the eighth was the tough inning this today and Stamont came in and took it that Stamont should be the one taking it he's their best reliever yeah but it makes no sense to me that people are like oh he should find roles for all of them no roles are ridiculous that's 1970s thinking okay whoever your best pitcher is pitch him in the highest leverage situation put your guys into matchups that are going to be favorable favorable for them and I want to say congratulations to Mike Matheny because he has been doing an excellent job managing the bullpen up to this point including this week um, really matching guys up against uh, hitters they're going to be successful against. And this is, this is some of the thing that that people have had frustration with managers sometimes, especially managers who are more of the older school because they have the defined roles, right? And that was all I could think today during the ninth inning when Holland was in there going, this might actually be the third least leverage inning. You know, I realize it's the four, five, six hitter, but Zimmer came in when it was tied. You got a two run lead. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and really, if you were asking me, well, what, what order do you, would you kind of want guys in it? For me, it's probably uh Stalmont Zimmer Holland. Now I know you're, you're not exactly in that order. You like Barlow a little bit better like and Barlow. things like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I saw the ninth inning today as the third least left, you know, the third hardest inning, not the first or cer- certainly not the first and maybe not the second. So, and to be clear, yeah teams and managers they have like they have leverage index in in their dugout they know what is the the most high leverage spot which is the spot where your best reliever is needed or which is the spot where you're most likely to give up a lead here they know that like it's not like they have no they have all the information they need to know what is the most high leverage situation of a game or what is what, what where is this on the leverage index they know those things right and so in my mind, you're right. Like it, Zimmer coming in tied was to me more important than Holland coming in with a two run lead, right? Regardless of what, where you're hit, you're facing in the order. Um, but then also Stamont coming in with a two run lead facing one, two, three was more high leverage than Greg oh, Holland in the ninth. Yeah. He just happened to pitch the ninth. All three outs are basically the same as any other three. Outs, mm-hmm. really. well, and, and, <laughs> and I so. think we saw Matheny really define, Hey, Hey, this is what I'm going to do when he let Barlow get like five or what was it four or five outs the other night to mm-hmm. get a the save i mean he's saying no barlow's getting the guy for these hitters i'm gonna put him in i'm gonna leave him in you know yeah i, I applaud that too because there were some criticism of Matheny coming in and 
and that he was just another Ned Yost kind of guy and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he has really, really, really done well with that bullpen. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use, but especially if you use Apple Podcasts because it's apparently the holy grail of podcast apps. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. So far this season, the Royals are 3-0 in one-run games with nail biters against the White Sox, the Angels, and the Jays. They'll probably eventually lose a one-run game, but so far the Royals are performing better in close games than in the recent past. In 2020, they went 8-9 in a shortened season. That's not bad, especially when compared to their 15-25 and record in one-run games in 2019. Of course, it stands to reason that bad teams lose more close games and good teams win more close games. So winning more close games may just be a sign that the Royals are a better team. But some factors make teams more likely to win close games. We're going to go over a few of those factors and consider if the Royals are built to win close games for the long haul. And because we're fans of the early 2000s John Cusack vehicle High Fidelity, which you should all see if you haven't, although it looks different upon reviewing it now than it did then, go back and watch that movie again and you'll realize that John Cusack's character is uh, really a huge asshole. But selfish, uh, <laughs> selfish just a bad person. <laughs> uh, anyway, in somewhat homage to that movie, we will do this as a top five list, right? Uh, here are the top five reasons teams win close games. Number one, the bullpen. In 2021, the Royals bullpen is three and one with a 410 ERA, a 136 whip in 52.2 innings. But those numbers are a little misleading. Those numbers don't look great, but the bullpen actually has been great. Those numbers are inflated a little bit for two reasons. One, they've given up some runs when they've had large leads. And so the other day they were up like seven, seven to two, seven, no, nothing, seven right? nothing, yeah. seven, nothing. And then they end up giving up five runs. The bullpen does for no reason. Right. And so because they're throwing their least important pitcher, because you know, whatever those runs don't matter as much. Right. Um, but also they have some somewhat inflated numbers because they've pitched so much. They've almost pitched the same number of innings as the starters. So the starters have thrown something like 55 innings coming into today. This doesn't include Brady, Brady Singer start today. But today, again, the bullpen holds tight for three innings. It was great. In close games, they've been extremely effective. And the thing about winning close games is you have to have an effective bullpen. That's the thing that determines the outcome of close games more than any other thing is how good is your bullpen. Look at 2019 by contrast, the Royals bullpen was 20 and 33 with a 5.07 ERA and a 1.54 whip. That's why they lost 25 one-run games that year. That's why they went 15 and 25 in one-run game. The bullpen this season seems like it's built to win those close games, to lock things down with their most effective bullpen guys. Josh Stamont, Scott Barlow, Kyle Zimmer, Greg Holland, even um, Jake Brents, who has been impressive up to this point. Yeah. They have arms who are capable of being effective in those close games, and they may even have more on the horizon as maybe Daniel Lynch comes up as a, in a relief role or Jackson Kowar comes up in a relief role later on down the way. So the number one factor that determines the outcome of close games, the bullpen. And, and I completely agree with that. Um, I was a lot more skeptical of this bullpen uh, to start the year when we did our bullpen draft and all that stuff. We talked a lot about this 
I'm still not quite as sold on the bullpen depth that, that you like, um, because I don't know that Coar coming up is really even a help at this point. Um, or, you know, even Daniel Lynch, I, I just don't know what they get, they're going to give you at the major league level. So I'm not sure. Um, and then you're counting on a guy like Holland who's aged, but so far the return has been really, really good. I need to see more data. <laughs> if you will need to see more information more outings from the bullpen. But so if they keep up what they're doing, yeah, we're going to win a lot of close games because once we get it to the seventh or eighth, those guys are, are pretty solid. So yeah, if, if we can keep those guys healthy, I think they do have a shot to win a lot of those close games. And when your offense is going kind of the way that they are now, where you're relying maybe on one or two guys to drive your offense, you're going to be in a lot of one, one run, one run games or close games. Um, and so, yeah, the, the bullpen is going to be essential and key. Our second factor of the, of the two f- of the top five factors that uh, determine the outcomes of close games, Mike, it's going to be mistake-free baseball. And that's not saying that the Royals have been mistake-free. Um, and some of their losses, in fact, at uh, Brady Singer's start before this one, the Royals lost the game and it was largely due to mistakes that they'd made. But in the close games, they've been mistake-free late in the games. You know, I love on the rundown here, you put Daniel Murphy, Jose Bautista, and Lucas Duda, the triumvirate of mistake makers in the Royals. Uh, well, heck, he could have thrown, uh, was Correa? Or not Correa? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, no, you're thinking of Correa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're thinking of Correa. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, in the Royals World Series run, those guys all made big mistakes to help the Royals uh, get to a World Series. So uh, if they can continue to make key defensive plays late in the game, uh, even the routine defensive plays late in the game are extremely important. Uh, then they're going to be okay. And their defense, and this kind of leads us into our kind of our next one, their ability to bring in some guys defensively helps that at the end of a game. So, yeah. Um, it's also, these aren't just defensive mistakes, right? So base running mistakes mm. are also key here. Um, and that's one point of criticism I have for the Royals up to this point. They make, they've made quite a few mistakes on the base paths. I include getting caught stealing as a mistake um, because anytime you give away an out for 90 feet is a, is a difficult thing to do. In my mind, that's a mistake, but they've also just had a lot of base running mistakes generally. I mean, they made one today. Uh, who was that? Who made, who made a base running mistake today? Or no, I'm thinking of, am I thinking of Isabel who got caught stealing? Yep. He did. Yeah. And then what uh, was. Well, the other day, Gerard Dyson got put in as a pinch runner gets thrown out gets thrown uh, out trying to yeah. take third yeah um, um and so just there there have Dozier been quite a few back picked at second Dozier's back pick at second was <laughs> horrible um but you know they're really aggressive on the base pads and sometimes people talk about that like it's a universal good uh it's only really good to be aggressive on the base pads if you don't get thrown out <laughs> yeah. um and so you know i i that's another one of those things that late in games is really going to matter because you only get 27 outs. And when you're to the seventh inning and the, it's a one run game or a two run game, then you only got, you know, eighth and you only got six outs left or nine outs left. Right. And mm-hmm. you can't be giving those away on the base path with really mad mistakes. Um, it's one thing too. I would throw walks into this category of mistakes made late in games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was his name in that angels game that we ended up winning off that guy's junk. Uh, Holland walked, I think, a guy or two in, in his uh, when he was out there, and it was like, oh my gosh, dude, you cannot walk the winning run to second base or to third base, you know, uh, in in a close game like that. So 
got lucky, but uh, yeah. hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, the team that makes the fewest mistakes will have the better chance to win these late close games. I think mm-hmm. that Mets World Series, I think the 2015 World Series is like a textbook example of this, right? Like the Mets, yes, you know, Cespedes was making mistakes and Murphy was making mistakes and Duda was making mistakes. And it's like, no wonder you guys lost. <laughs> like like <laughs> when they were making these mistakes, the games were so close and then it would be like a blowout. Those mistakes are huge uh, for these close games. The number three factor that determines the outcome of close games, I put management down. Right. Um, And this sort of tied in with mistake free baseball management is really important because it sort of oversees all these different things. It oversees the bullpen, it oversees substitutions, it oversees lineups. And I'm of the mind that management doesn't have a huge impact on wins and losses. So like it doesn't really matter who's the manager. It matters that you have good players. But when it does matter, it's usually in close games. Right. Because any small thing can change the outcome of the game. And so leaving a pitcher in one or two batters too long we call that the dusty baker (laughs) i called it the ned yost for a long time because that was his mo he left a guy in one or two hitters long for basically until 2014 when when he started to stop doing that right and they got lucky that he did because they played a lot of close games that year and it just that will blow it faster than anything else but also substitutions Matheny's been really big on substituting in Dyson and Alberto and he substituted in Nicky Lopez the other day defensively that'll help out in small ways right it's small these you're looking for little small advantages and the management decisions can be those little small advantages as games get further and further down the line and are still close and so good management will ultimately maybe win you a run and a run is all you need when you're only going to win when you're playing a one run game. So yeah, management are number three factor that determines the outcomes of close games. The number four factor, and this is something Rick, don't let Rick Hudler hear this because he might leave <laughs> his wife for this thing. The little things, the little things. Oh, they're doing the little things. They're doing the little things, brother. That's my, that's um, my uh, Rex Hudler voice there. Yeah, my Rex Hudler is sort of Hulk melts Hogan? into my Hulk Hogan. <laughs> they're like the same thing to me. Slash that character from Napoleon Dynamite who's wearing the American flag bandana. Oh, you know, that guy, yeah, 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 the karate yeah. instructor. Yes. Somehow my Rex Hudler is that guy and Hulk Hogan. They're my Rex Hudler. <laughs> Forget about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so, yes, but still, number four, the little things, the they little can thing. have an outcome on close games. And I tell you close. what, the, the first thing you have here is take extra bases, and we do that. We t- Nicky Lopez got a double today on a ground ball through the infield. Okay. Uh, Carlos Santana, who couldn't outrun you or me, uh, yeah, has been taking bases <laughs> left and right. Yeah, he could. That's, that's, an that's, that's hyperbole. He definitely could. Um, he's been taking bases left and right, you know, just off guys. So, uh, you know, we, we have been stealing a bunch, which today Alec Lewis was like, oh, five, five stolen bases. He put that out there on Twitter. Um, it's the first time we've done it, five stolen bases in a game in a long time. I sit back and go, how many runs did those stolen bases produce? It was a zero. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know th- those things can become very big. I mean, you get two outs and you steal a base late in a game. You steal second late in a game and somebody hits a single and scores your run. Well, that's, that's the little things right there. And the Royals are good at that stuff, and they have been for a while. 
for American they're gonna, team. They're gonna that stuff. There is one thing they are not good at, or historically not good at. I don't want to judge them just on the game today. Today they had a lot of guys on third with less than th- with less than two outs and could not bring those guys in. Right? Yeah. They had the bases loaded twice in the first two innings and didn't score any runs from it. I think one of those might have been with two outs, but. Um, that's another element of the little things that you have to do if you want to win these close games is you have to produce those runs when you have runners on third with less than two outs, those runs have to come in at least a majority of the time. Um, you know, and that's, that's sort of an area where they've struggled historically because I think previously they just weren't much of a fly ball hitting team. And I'm thinking back to their, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 era, um, they just, they, they had a lot of guys who hit ground balls and they had a lot, they didn't have a lot of guys who could intentionally and deliberately put it in the air deep enough to get guys in. Like um, a, like a Jose Abreu does for the White Sox all the time. Even a guy like Whit Merrifield for the Royals, I think would do a really he, good job with this. Um, yeah, they just don't, didn't have that situation. He doesn't, often. yeah, he doesn't have that situation as often because he hits lead off. Um, and so, but if they can figure out ways to do those little things, that's going to be huge for helping them win close games throughout the rest of the season. Our number five factor for the things that uh, top five things that determine the outcomes of close games, I'm going to call it the it factor. And HUD's going to love this too. And I know he listens. I know you listen, HUD. The it factor. I'm not one who's huge on the notion that like, that there's such a thing as being clutch. Uh, I don't think there is such a thing as being clutch. I think the better hitters are more clutch hitters. That's just, I think it's just clutchness is just guys hitting like they would normally hit, right? Um, They used to say Edgar Martinez was really clutch. No, he's Edgar (laughs) Martinez is what he is. Yeah, he's an amazing hitter. hitter. (laughs) Miguel Cabrera was a real clutch clutch hitter. Uh, Mike Trout, just super clutch. No, uh, the guys aren't clutch. They're just really good. (laughs) Uh, And so... So I'm not big on that notion, but I do think that there is a factor of, we'll call it social psychology among a team, right? Like, and 14, 15 Royals had this in spades. I think this like was one of the big reasons they were so capable of coming back and of winning close games. There is a thing that can happen in a team where a guy gets a hit and the whole team is like, is up. Their hackles are up, you know, like they're like, they're now ready to like turn the switch on, you know? That it factor that's sort of it's it's like team chemistry, but it's like a team chemistry that needs a spark. Uh, and I think that they have it. I think that Hanser Alberto is actually a big part of this. They're talking about like what a what a driving force he is. I think having Gerard Dyson back is a part of it. I think Salvador Perez is a big part of it. I think Whit Merrifield is a part of it. You need some of those guys who are gonna encourage the rest of the team to believe this thing can happen to sort of get pumped and get out there while also remaining calm. It's a weird balance of, of, of uh, social psychology, but I feel like the Royals have been consistently good at having it uh, for a while. This is basically what Patrick Mahomes gets up and dumps in the toilet every morning because he's got so much <laughs> extra of it. Okay. He does that's a lot of That's it. what you're talking about. A guy who, you know, even when you get down is like, yeah, I'm good. No problem. Like, you're, you're calm in those situations, but you're pumping other people up, you know? And yeah, you, and it was easy when the Royals in 14 and 15, because all those guys were like the same age. They were all young and, and energetic and all that stuff. They hadn't seen a million years of baseball or anything like that. They didn't probably know that they weren't supposed to go win the world series, you know? Then, then, so that was, 
easy to draw on. You know, a lot of those guys were really close. This team isn't like that necessarily. They're, they didn't all come up together. They didn't, you know, they aren't all super young and haven't been other places. A lot of these guys have been other places. But if you bring in a couple of those key pieces, and I think those guys that you mentioned are, are good uh, examples, then and, – and the one thing that the Royals do have this year is a whole lot of World Series experience. It's not necessarily with the Royals, but um, there is a lot of World Series experience on the team. And so you have a lot of guys who are, who are uh, used to winning. So uh, I think that helps contribute to the it factor as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. That even though this team is a sort of mixture of players from other places – they seem to have the catalyst that is necessary for, you know, picking everybody up together. And, and we can name those names from 14, 15 too. I mean, it was Salvador Perez who's still here. It was Gerard Dyson who's still here, but it yeah. was also Mike Moustakis. It was Eric Hosmer. It was mm-hmm. Duffy. I wouldn't, I would that kind of cool. put Lorenzo Kane in that, in that I wouldn't put Gordon there. Gordon's such yeah. a quiet dude, such yeah. a, He's a reserved person. <laughs> He's a grump. Uh, but Lorenzo Kane was certainly a part of that. I oh, think, yeah. I think there were moments where he really picked that team up. Um, and you just need these personalities. Anybody who has played on a team or coached a team in the past knows, can think of the guys on their team who were that guy, right? The, you can the also energy sometimes, givers. Yeah. the energy givers, as yeah. HUD would put it. We're just using a ton of HUDisms here. Um, but you can also think of the opposites of those guys. There are definitely guys out there who Jose Guillen. are harder to pick up, who are, <laughs> are more likely to bring everybody down. Um, uh, Danny and so, Valencia. And so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to name names because I know Billy Butler. I just, listens, I just but, gave you two. Uh, <laughs> all right. Jose Guillen, uh, Danny Valencia. I just gave you two. Uh, Both Mike, for the Royals. Mike's hoping he never walks into Danny Valencia in a bar <laughs> oh, anymore uh, <laughs> because he's going to get Aaron Donald. No. <laughs> Aaron Donald did. Uh, which is funny because he has now been exonerated. I just want to throw out Aaron Donald, please don't sue us. We have nothing. So uh, <laughs> you are an innocent man. Um, and a hero. Right? And a hero. I guess. Uh, but yeah, I think there is an it factor. I think there is a, an element of psychology or social psychology or team chemistry or whatever you want to call it that in some way determines the outcome of some of these close games. And so far, uh, the Royals seem to be bathing in it because they got they got plenty of it so far. They're 3-0 in those close games. So, Okay, let's take a look ahead to this week's series of games. The Royals finish up their homestand with a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays to start the week. Then they'll have an off day on Thursday before they start a four-game set against the Tigers in Detroit, which kicks off a nine-game road trip. Uh, they'll start with the Rays. The Rays are 8-8 eight and eight to start the year, so right at 500. Uh, traditionally a very well-managed team, a very sabermetrically focused team, a team that tries to take walks and get on base and hit extra base hits. They have a couple of very exciting young hitters. Randy Rosarina comes to mind. But we're not really clear as to who's going to take the mound for them during this stretch. It look, I, I tried to extrapolate and guess because they still hadn't come out with the um, probable starters yet. But uh, I think the matchups are going to be Duffy versus Josh Fleming. Fleming uh, hasn't started that many t- that many games for them. He just was just one start so far. But he threw five. He went five innings and only gave up one earned run. Uh, and then after that should be Keller versus Rich Hill. Rich Hill is an oldish. I'm not going to call him old. He's been around a while. Lefty, real crafty, soft tossing lefty. Came um, in with the has, Cubs, right? Yeah, came in with the Cubs many years ago. Um, but has had to actually didn't really have a ton of success with the Cubs. Uh, <laughs> kind of remade himself as an older pitcher uh, and started having success elsewhere. Um, he's not having a ton of success so far this season. 
three in three starts, he's got a 7.53 ERA, only gone 14 and a third. Um, but we'll see. The Royals seems to struggle mightily against soft tossing lefties. That's just they've done better them. against lefties this year. Malone owned them the other day. Oh boy, yeah, uh, that was that guy throws so weakly. I mean, yes. I've never seen uh, Bruce Chen. Maybe is the right hand can get it to eighty eight, eighty nine at least. <laughs> uh, he's no Chen's left handed too. Um, oh yeah, Chen was left handed. Not since yeah. Jamie Moyer has anybody thrown. Ooh. As soft uh, as Tommy Malone, man. A nice little mid-80s fastball like Tommy Malone, but it works against the Royals, I'll tell you that. Um, so His we'll changeup goes 76 miles an hour. Yeah, we'll see if Rich Hill takes the Tommy Malone model and just starts to uh, oh, no. he use it against the Royals. That. He throws harder than that, but maybe if he if he wants to find success, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just throw it in the mid-80s. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the game three of that series, uh, hope. I think will be Junis versus Michael Waka. The Royals have already come out and said they're going to stay on this five-man rotation uh, and with Junis included in it. So uh, for now anyway, but it should be Junis versus Michael Waka. Waka, you remember, was uh, came up with the Cardinals, uh, had a lot of success early in his career, sort of went away and started struggling for, has struggled for quite a while now. It uh, looks like the Rays have taken him as a reclamation project. He started two games this season. He's got a 4.20 ERA and 15 innings. So yeah, that's how that, that series is going to go. Uh, the Tigers, there's a little less definition there because they're further out, but they're six and nine, a real rebuilding team. Uh, whereas the Rays were AL champs last year and we're in the World Series. The Tigers are not going to be AL champs, nor will they go to the Royal, World Series. Uh, they're not very good right now, um, though maybe happy to be out to a six and nine start. Uh, pretty anemic offensively so far. They got a couple guys with OPSs in the 700s. They do have one young hitter who is like, exciting everybody i'm gonna probably mispronounce his name but his name is akil badu and uh he's just his ops is over a thousand he's lighting the world on fire um yeah he's the best rule five pick since dan ugla if you remember that well what about recounting pitchers here which is position players because brad keller might be in that mix oh get out of here no this kid's crushing the ball I mean, well, yeah, for- Brad Keller's been a good player too. Joaquin Soria is certainly on that list as well. He was a Rule Five guy, but Brad Dan Ugler was like an All Star. And this kid, if he continues to hit the way he is, he's going to be an All Star. Yeah, Brad. Yes, that's true. But I'm I'm not giving this kid, you know, an All Star status after ten games. You know, like uh, Brad yeah. Keller's been a <laughs> a very serviceable pitcher for like three years. Was a great pitcher last year. Hey, um, don't crush my uh, way to throw out Dan Ugla into that mix. Do you remember how good that guy was for like? <laughs> I, Eight, you know what? He would have he, he gotten a lot more, um, a lot more props. I think if he played today as an offense first second baseman, oh, yeah. uh, than he was than he got back then. Yeah. Um, but good, yeah, though. so he could hit the ball quite a ways, Dan Ugla. Yeah. But they're also it's really all about young players for the Tigers, like like uh, Badu and Casey Mize. Their sort of number one prospect, pitching prospect. He's pitched pretty well for them so far this year. I like um, Scooble, the left-hander for them. Scooble. He's young too. I like him a lot too. Yeah, he's another guy that's they're they're trying to develop. Um, really, really a rebuilding time for the Tigers. They're still trying to stock their farm system. They're going to mm-hmm. pitch or pick near the top of the draft this year, probably next year too. Um, Who uh, picked to, pick to finish last by did, virtually everyone? Did Torkelton go to them? Is that who I'm thinking of? Uh, my mind is a basically tapioca pudding at this point. Um, I think Spencer Torkelton so, went to them. Uh, big uh, right-handed. It's, it's not Torkel 10 though. It's Torkel Sun. Torkel Sun. My bad. Pretty sure he went there. Um, so they do have, they have started the offensive rebuild as well, which I assume will come 
kind of post Miguel Cabrera. But if, if you got Badu, if he continues to do this and Torkelton becomes what Torkelson becomes what people think that he can be, um, you got at least a beginning there. A little bit of a cornerstone, yeah. 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 Um, so what are you hoping to see from the Royals this week as they take on another uh, couple series, one of which that they should definitely win? Yeah, well, I, I, I really like uh, – I like the pitching matches matchups in that first one. So I'm happy about that. Uh, the, the Rays always seem to be a team that you're like, well, they have nobody. And then they win 90 games. And so that'll be interesting. I, I'm really, if you're saying, Hey, which of those three games, if we get the Junis Michael Walker matchup, that's the game I want to see the most. Not just because I'm super interested in continuing to watch Junis pitch, but also because I was, I was a big, I mean, I was a big Michael Walker fan. Cause I don't really like the Cardinals, but when he came up, I was like, Oh, Michael Walker is a damn good player. Uh, with the Cardinals, and he flamed out uh, with some arm problems and things like that. So I would like to see what the Rays are doing with him because they seem like the team that in two years, Michael Walker is going to get some gigantic free agent contract or something. So I'm really looking forward to see that game. And then I, I haven't seen uh, the Badu kid except for highlights yet. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing him in that uh, second series. I kind of hope we run into Casey Myers. I want to see what his – I want to see what it's like because the hype on him coming out of college was pretty unreal. Um, especially when you consider like the hype around this year's top two pitchers, the Jack or Jack Leiter and Kumar rocker out of Vanderbilt both is even, is even, yeah, they're both amazing. Uh, is both of the hype for both of them is even crazier than Casey Mises was, but it seemed like the hype on him died down almost immediately. Like he, the second he got into the minors and started pitching in professional baseball, he started to struggle a little bit. And then the hype went mm, all the way down, uh, not all the way down, but like people really cooled on him quickly. And then they sort of started to go back up again. And so like, he's had kind of a roller coaster in terms of how the prospect world views him. Uh, and so I'll be interested to see like, what's his stuff look like now, you know, after yeah. he's sort of had a windy road to the, to the major leagues. I wonder if that isn't because he wasn't that highly thought of until that last year at Auburn. Yeah. You know, he wasn't like a, Oh, well, this guy's going to be a top 20 pick for sure. He was kind of an out of nowhere guy. And I wonder if that's Mm -hmm. why people cooled on him a little bit more. Um, But also, you know, looking forward to this week for the Royals more specifically than just talking about prospects for the Tigers. I want to see if Mondesi comes back this week. I want Mondesi back. I want you back. Okay. You said the same thing last week. <laughs> I know I said the same thing last week, and I want him back again this week, all right? Not only just because I want to see uh, what he looks like, and it's not likely we get him back this week either. He's probably going to go on a uh, an assignment somewhere to get it back be, before it, he comes. It'll be the alternate site. That's all oh, yeah, because they haven't started the leagues yet, have they? So I, I expect him to go down to the alternate site for some rehab stuff before he comes uh, and starts playing games. So I don't expect to see him this week. If I were going to guess, I would say maybe late the week after that. I'd um, say the following week at the earliest. You think so? Yeah. Damn you. <laughs> he hasn't even started swinging yet. I, there was a report out today that um, they have video he started of fielding. He started right bunting, but he hasn't started swinging yet. And of course, that's um, the hardest thing so, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so I think, I think he's still got some time. Okay. Well, I would like to see that for some miracle happen and him be in this week because I want to see the dominoes that fall from that. You and I have talked about we think likely Kyle Isbell's going back down. I think that only happens when Mondesi comes back. And that if that's the case, and it is two or three more weeks for Mondesi, that means Kyle Isbell is up here and likely getting, you know, at bats here and there, not 
for sure, for sure, probably not against lefties very often. He went today because it had been three days since he played, but you know, I, I want to see him in a place where he can hit all the time where he can be working. Um, I do not want him sitting on the bench at the major league level. And I don't think the Royals do either, but I think he's probably stuck there until, uh, until that happens. We'll wrap up this week with our just a bit outside segment where we share something that's caught our interest or fascinated us outside of the world of baseball this week. Mike, what's fascinated you outside the world of baseball? Well, before I get into that, I have to tell you that my wife told me that her and her mother-in-law don't listen to the show necessarily. They skip all the way ahead to just this segment. (laughs) So darling, my wife, the love of my life, this one's for you. And my mother-in-law, Kelly, this one's for you. I'm interested in cryptocurrency, not because Uh I want to dump any of my money into cryptocurrency, mostly because I just don't understand what it is or the point of it. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I I fancy myself somewhat of an amateur investor, but I don't quite believe in cryptocurrency and nobody has, and the little information I've gotten on it, nobody has been like, has wowed me enough to go, hey, you need to start dumping a bunch of money into this money, online money. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, you know, but but it's all over the place now. Coinbase just went uh, is being publicly traded now. It's like a platform for buying and selling cryptocurrency. Like Dogecoin, if I'm saying that correctly, something about dog money, I think. I, I, think is I don't I'm, know. I'm not sure on that one. Uh, and of course, Bitcoin like was some roller coaster high thing like not that long ago. And then, of course, you see the stories out there of like some person accidentally bought Bitcoin like 20 years ago, and now that's worth 850 million thousand million dollars. And it's like, oh, neat. And what are they going to do? And how, how many of those people? Like, I, I just don't get it. Um, but hey, maybe maybe I hope a lot of our listeners are out there getting rich on uh, cryptocurrency. If you are, feel free to throw that money to me. I will not put it into cryptocurrency probably, but I will put it somewhere else and then maybe go read up on cryptocurrency so I know more about it because I just don't know anything about it. The, the hard thing about cryptocurrency, it seems like to me, is you cannot find sources of information. They're just so hard to find that are like, this is plainly and objectively what it is. And because like everything you read online about cryptocurrency is like, buy cryptocurrency. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's going to revolutionize everything. And I, I, I read a lot of economics and I read people who talk, talk about it. And they're like, there's this really funny Tim Minchin joke where he talks about alternative medicine. And he's like, you know what they call alternative medicine that's been proved to work? Medicine. And that's what I think about <laughs> cryptocurrency. You know what cryptocurrency is? Currency. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> The big point Paul Krugman always makes is, you know how it's different than digital currency? It isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's uh, So I'm sitting here wondering, like, the thought I had today when I brought this up or when I decided to put this on here was maybe it's something like, um, you know how back in the day, uh, like VHS versus Betamax was the thing? Have you ever kind of heard what swung the pendulum into VHS's uh, side? Uh Uh-uh. This may be completely, what do they call it, uh, apocryphal? May not be completely true, but I've heard in the past that it was pornography that swung it to VHS. Like the porn industry decided to go VHS, and so everybody wanted a way to way to play their pornography, and so they all started buying VHS players. And Betamax died as a result of that. 
I'm wondering, is crypto like, because I've heard things like, well, you know, cryptocurrency, that's how giant crime lords manage their funds and do things like that. Is that what, like, are we going to move to cryptocurrency because, you know, the black web is... <laughs> is the dark using, web? The dark web is <laughs> The only way you can buy quality bat meat is with cryptocurrency? Is that what we're talking about? Like, or is it only like all pornography websites are only accepting cryptocurrency so everybody starts using cryptocurrency i don't get it this was the great argument that paul krugman had against has against (laughs) cryptocurrency is that like it only it can only exist in you know illicit markets because we have a digital currency for non-illicit markets like we already have one of those right like and it's not like you know now i could be completely wrong here because you are seeing cryptocurrency accepted in you know, legal markets now, like all over the place, actually. Um, I hate cryptocurrency for lots of different reasons, but one of the big ones is environmental. Like uh, mining cryptocurrency is extremely bad for the environment. And so uh, not a fan personally, but uh, now we're going to get like doxxed and totally destroyed by all these cryptocurrency bros online. So thanks, Mike, for bringing this up this week. Really appreciate it. No problem, bud. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to bring up something that's less uh, ridiculous and controversial. (laughs) Um, There's this excellent YouTube channel I've been watching lately. It's called Tifo Football. So I watch lots of different sports, uh, but mostly I watch three different ones, baseball, football, and soccer. Uh, More recently, lately, I've been watching a ton of soccer. Uh, And one of the things I really love to do is watch Tifo Football's YouTube channel because they have these like weird explainer videos that are like 10 minutes long. They're, they're like illustrated, I guess, is how you would say. They use like graphics and drawings and stuff like that um, with a voiceover on top of them. They're super well done. They're like, the production value is really good. Um, TIFO football is connected with The Athletic. So it's kind of like a, a branch of The Athletic, although I think it existed for a long time on its own and The Athletic kind of bought it. It's also a podcast, a very well uh, received and widely listened to podcast, but I just watch the YouTube videos and I can sit there and watch like, you know, those nights where you're like, oh, I don't want to watch a movie that takes too long, you know, and then you watch like 10 hours of television. Um, I've got, I've gone a step further and I'm like, I don't want to watch TV the episodes too long. And I watch like 10 hours of TIFO videos. <laughs> <laughs> that are like 10 minutes long each. Uh, that's how long my attention span is at this point. I can't, I can't watch anything longer than 10 minutes, but these, these you are excellent. three hour baseball games consistently. Yeah, I do. I do that, but I'm on Twitter the whole time too. Um, and so if you want to learn about the game, it's a great way to learn about soccer uh, because they explain very basic and also very complex things. Um, and so they'll, they'll explain like the business of soccer. They'll explain the tactical elements of soccer. They'll explain different things about players and teams. It's, it's a really great YouTube channel. If you're into soccer and you've never watched it, go give it a watch. It's, it's really excellent. Excellent thing. Um, that reminds me last night, my, my wife has been gone all weekend. So last night I'm by myself. Like, I don't want to watch a movie. It was like 10 o'clock already. I'm getting ready to go to bed. And I started a documentary about like the greatest art, art heists ever on Netflix. It's four parts. I think they're an hour piece. I watched all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. That's yeah. a, such a streaming era right there. I am a moron. Uh, yeah. That's all we have for this week. We're going to call it a day before the crypto bros come after us. Uh, I'm sure they're going to. Show uh, mercy, crypto bros. Show mercy. <laughs> And uh, we're going to we're going to wrap up. We will see you next week. Make sure to subscribe, rate and review. 
uh, spread the word about Royals Weekly. We want to get it. We want to be in everybody's brains. We want to be like in everybody's minds. We're out there. We're like cryptocurrency. We're just spreading everywhere, baby. Subscribe, rate, review. Tell your friends. Tell your grandparents. Everybody's listening to Royals Weekly. 